Thanks for joining us on History Makers. And joining me right now is Pastor Jeff Vines, who has been 20 years in the mission field in Zimbabwe, New Zealand. He's pastoring a church in the States and has written some great books. He's got some great stories to share. Uh, Welcome to Australia, mate. What do you think of our country? Oh, Matt, you know that I think this is where God vacations. This is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in the world. And most people know this, but and I've lived around the world. But uh, my plan is to retire here. Uh, Paradise Point is where I'd like to spend the later years of my life. So who knows when that'll happen, maybe 10 years from now, but that's my dream. Sounds good. I keep asking the Lord to call me to, like, Noosa or the Gold Coast or something. And I'm stuck in the middle of Brisbane. But that's all right. You know, maybe one day. <laughs> now, for those who don't know your story, whereabouts were you born and raised? I was born in a small town in the eastern part of Tennessee in the southern region of the U.S., uh, not too far from Knoxville, Tennessee, where mm-hmm. the University of Tennessee uh, resides. And then uh, grew up uh, in really the, the mountains, you know, uh, a lot like some of the mountain areas you'd see in the southern parts of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I spent 10 years in New Zealand mm. in my 30s. As a matter of fact, my 20s I spent in Africa, in Zimbabwe. My yeah. 30s were in New Zealand and then my 40s have been in Los Angeles. Okay, so you've been everywhere, man. Uh, What about your faith journey? Were you raised in a religious family? Yeah, my parents uh, in the early years were what you would call nominal Christians. We did go to church. I'm not sure we had a relationship with Jesus at that point. But my mother, over uh, the course of her life, uh, had an experience of of really meeting God, and that had an impact on the rest of us. All the kids and my father as well, we became fully devoted and committed followers of Jesus Christ. Somewhere around the age, I was around 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. Big change in your life. Did everyone notice the difference? Everybody did notice the difference, especially where we spent our time on the weekends and how we spent our money. My father became uh, diligent in his giving and generosity to people who were less fortunate. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, when my father retired with the same company after 40 years, he spent most of his time visiting people in homes who were just less fortunate, making sure they had groceries and food. And Jesus really impacted his life in a pragmatic point mm-hmm. of he really understood that God had given him so much so that to whom much is given, much is required. I'm going to go out into my world and make people's lives better. Mm, so good, mate. And uh, I just love uh, hearing you preach. I've heard a lot of your sermons, and I've read your book. We're going to get to that in a moment. Uh, before we get into that, let, let's just uh, journey on a little bit more. So you came to faith at 15. What did you do uh, after college or school? What, what, what was your early career like? Yeah, my whole dream as a kid uh, was to be a basketball player, to play in the National Basketball Association. And, of course, I, I, I was a good high school player and was actually an All-American in college. But when I went to the ranks to try to make it into the professional ranks, I realized that I was a big fish in a small pond. Uh, The game had been changing so much in the late 80s and early 90s. They were so much bigger, so much stronger, so much faster. And while I didn't have much of of, of a problem scoring when I got the ball, I couldn't defend anyone of that caliber. And so I went, I went to the camp in, uh, at Tennessee Tech University for, it was, it was like a farm league. You're supposed to stay five days and play, and the coaches and the scouts watch you. After the first day, I walked over to the coach and I said, Coach, 
you and I both know I don't belong here. And he said, you're the first person to honestly say that. (laughs) So I picked up my gear and went back home and started my life. Now, it didn't devastate me that much. I think part of me inside knew, but I wanted to give it my best shot. And I had always dreamt of one day using uh, my faith uh, as a way to go out into the world and be an ambassador for Christ. And so at that point, God started moving me in another direction. I met a young woman, and that changes everything. Yeah. I ended up chasing her to Africa uh, because I fell in love with her, and she was the daughter of a missionary in Africa in the area of Zambia, Zimbabwe. And then after we met and we continued to date, and I t- did a few internships in Africa, I fell in love with her and the country, married her. We went back together, and I went to coach basketball and developed the game in Southern Africa. Yeah, I was recruited by a guy by the name of Hugh Brandt, who was with Campus Crusade, uh-huh. and he said, come over and you can coach basketball, and we'll start discipleship groups and study groups in the University of Zimbabwe. And I did that for a while, but then God opened a door where the major English-speaking church in Harare, Zimbabwe, all of a sudden found itself without a pastor. Mugabe had revoked his permit, and I was the only one left. So they wow. said, Jeff, it's either you, you're the only one with experience preaching, or it's no one. I didn't really want to do that at this point in my life, but I, I knew that I should, so I stepped into it, and the rest is history. I fell in love with preaching and teaching, primarily with studying. At that point, I enjoyed the, the preparation for getting a message mm-hmm. more than I did delivering it. And so that started a chain a reaction in me of, of wanting to learn more. So I left Zimbabwe after 10 years. I went to seminary. I got a degree in theology and a major in preaching and counseling, and then ended up being recruited by the South Pacific Christian Fellowship into New Zealand, where we planted a new church. And I was a pastor there for 10 years, and mm-hmm. then it just kept going. <laughs> wow. Well, it's been an, an amazing story of how God has uh, planted do- planted you and opened doors for you uh, wherever you've been. Now, the church you're in right now is quite a significant church, uh, Christ's Church of the Valley. Uh, tell us what part of the states is that in? Yeah, that's in Los Angeles. Yep. If you take the 10 east, about 25 minutes from downtown, that you come to an area called Glendora San Dimas. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And it's like 15,000 people. Yeah, and it's a, how many services a weekend do you do? <laughs> oh, boy. Right now, we are doing a total of nine services, <laughs> six on one campus, two on another, and one on another campus. And we're just about ready to expand uh, land is very difficult to find in Los Angeles, and it's expensive when you do find it. Mm. But I've always been a missionary at heart, so I struggle to go in debt. Yeah. So I want to keep doing the things we do overseas in northern India and in Africa. So what I've decided to do is take two of our campuses that we presently own, and ex- rather than building a big facility, build a smaller one on, on both campuses and go back and forth between the two. Yeah, cool. And so that enables us to go in debt for 15 rather than $50 million. And when you can do that, your people... People are honored because they know, hey, this guy's really not about building his kingdom. He's really about the kingdom of God. Yeah. So it gives you a lot of momentum with your people. There's a respect and an honor that they give you when they see you being a good steward. And I heard a story that you shared recently about a guy that gave you a very large check recently, a generous yeah. uh, guy from your church. Tell us that story. Yeah, you know, as pastors, we know that there are always people that God has blessed with the gift of entrepreneurship, you know, where they're able to start, grow businesses, sell them, and move on. And one such man uh, asked if I'd have a coffee with him at Starbucks. I didn't want to go to Starbucks because, as you know, in America, you can't find a decent cup of coffee. I'll be the first to admit. So that's why I look forward to coming to especially places like Adelaide and Brisbane yeah, where come the Italians on. and then the influence here in Brisbane and great coffee. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of um, uh, trying to find our way around uh, – 
doing ministry in different places. But in L.A., uh, we're as we expand and as our, our churches grow, uh, we're, we're trying to, uh, to, f- to find our way uh, in relating the gospel to people who come from all walks of life, no matter where they're from, no matter what they're experiencing. But the church there in L.A. has grown. It's, it's, it's a challenge for me because that ne- isn't necessarily my gifting in administration, so I'm learning as I go. Yeah, and the guy that gave you the check, tell us the story about that. Yeah, yeah you know, well, I'm ADD, so if you get me sidetracked, <laughs> I'll go off in another way, but thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine, Mike, uh, asked me out for coffee. And uh, he, he had tears in his eyes, and he had this check, and he said, Pastor Jeff, I'm going to give you, I want to slide over to you a check. And this check is a dream that my wife and I have had since we started coming 25 years ago. And he slid the check over, and I turned it over. It was a million dollars. Now, it's not like he'd been saving money to give to this day because he was also, at the time, our biggest giver, so a regular tither. Mm. But he looks at it, he says, Jeff, no matter how many businesses I grow— I always give 10% of everything God gives me to his work, his kingdom work. And I've done that all my life. And I've noticed that no matter how much I give, he he returns it. I can't outgive him. So <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to give this million and see what happens. By the way, I just want to tell you that a few weeks after that, he was offered $50 million for his business and he sold it. Wow. And God now he's good. starting another business. Yeah. So some people just have that gift and God sends <laughs> those people into a pastor's life to encourage you. Hey, if I want to get this done, I'll send the resources. Amen. That's so good. Can I have that guy's number? Yes, you can. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, what a great story. And uh, so, you know, you're at this large church, you're reaching out, you're doing all this, but you're also uh, associated with Ravi Zacharias and uh, you're known as an apologist defending the faith. For those who don't know what an apologist does, can you just unpack that for yeah, us? Yeah, it comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense. And it's uh, it's to do one, it's to do so in love. So my passion is for people who are far from God, who are skeptical, who are even antagonistic. People don't really make me angry. You know, if someone attacks me in my faith, it doesn't really bother me. Uh, I mean, it, it disturbs me a little bit on their behalf, but I understand where they're coming from because our identities are always tied to our worldviews. So the person who's coming after me wants to be proven right so that he can regain his sense of identity and purpose who he is or she is. So I never get angry. And so I like it when young university students come or when uh, skeptics come. I've been conversing with a rather aggressive atheist in Adelaide for a few months now, and they're great conversations. But at first, he was very aggressive and even disrespectful, but as he discovered that my comeback was always cordial, and I always wished him God's best and blessings on his life, then he softened and we were able to have conversations. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think that, again, Jesus Christ and Christianity is the only coherent worldview that we have. And when I mean coherent, I mean that it's consistent in its definition of origin, what, where we came from, meaning of my life, morality, determining what is good, what is bad, what is evil, uh, and then also destiny, where am I headed? Mm. No other worldview gives you that consistency. Uh, people always ask me, and I think I can do this for a second, what do you mean? Well, let's take atheism. On the one hand, atheism says there absolutely is no God. So origin is no origin. We're here by accident, time plus matter plus chance. But if that's true, then you can't ever claim an absolute moral law. Because if there's no God, there's no absolute moral law of good and evil. It becomes pragmatic at best. And so when I talk to an atheist, I seldom meet one that is consistent. Now, I have met them, and then I will actually congratulate them. At least you're consistent. (laughs) If you're an atheist, you can never tell me that it's wrong to do any kind of injustice because that will only be based on your subjective opinion, and there's no authority. 
And so that's what an apologist does. Mm. He asks questions to the questioner and gets him to open up within his own assumptions so that eventually we can lead you to what we believe is the answer to the most deep, penetrating questions of life found in Christ and his coherent worldview. Well, I love the way that you present. I've listened to a lot of your sermons uh, on the radio now, and uh, I've read your book, uh, Dinner with Skeptics, except for the last couple of chapters, because I was halfway through it, or three quarters of the way through it, and I was on the plane talking to a lady quite high up in politics, and we started a, a faith conversation, and we were just about to land, and I thought, well, I can't finish this off right now. I see, have this book. This has got all the answers in it. Mm. <laughs> so for those who haven't yet heard about this book, it's basically you were actually in Brisbane in a hotel, and the manager invited you to come and have a meal with her team, yeah. and it turned out they were all skeptics and all had this uh, kind of grudge against God in different ways. Just take us back to that night. Yeah, take, it was a, it was a setup. <laughs> she invited me because they were going to have fun with this American preacher boy. <laughs> and I, I remember the first question. One of the first questions I was asked is why Why is a young, good looking guy like you? preaching the gospel. I mean, what are you doing? Wait, go out and have some fun, man. Because basically most of us think that if you become religious or especially Christian, it's the end of your philosophy of fun. So life is over, and that's just not the case. Yeah. And so that night we had about 15 to 20 people around the table with the hotel manager at the very end of the table kind of uh, watching how things went. And by the end of the night, she becomes a believer. Awesome. And that's because we answered every question that was presented mm. in a kind manner, never disrespectful, even though people were often disrespectful to me. And sometimes people would say, oh, you're just an idiot. And I'd say, okay, tell me, show me how I'm idiotic here. Where does my answer not conform well with reason? And if you respond well and calmly, we got all the questions out in the air and then it's not that I know everything. No one does. No one has all the answers. My thing is, just because there are some things about life that I don't know, it doesn't change the reality of the things that I do know. And so let's go with where the evidence points. You know, people will tell me, well, you can't prove anything. Absolutely. And I absolutely agree with that because we're human. We're frail. And so the question is, where does the evidence that we have before us point? In what direction? And I believe you're always going to find that the deepest, most penetrating questions of life end up in God. Mm, so good. And uh, just out of curiosity, too, uh, do you follow up anyone from that dinner? Like, have you been in contact with them? Yes. If you've read the first part of the book, you'll remember the names Laura, Richard, and Sherry. And all of those I've been in contact with, with the first four or five years after the event. Mm -hmm. Most of them I've lost touch with. Laura, I can still get a hold of from time to time. Mm -hmm. She moves around. But we're trying to actually set up an interview. Yeah. I, I was inspired this morning. Morning because we're going to try to track her down and awesome. interview her. It would be great now, what's been 12, 13 years yeah. now, to hear her side of how those things went that night mm. for her to become a Christ follower. Yeah, so good. I just loved it. And it was such a great story. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm an evangelist myself, so I'm always talking to uh, non-believers mm. and trying to look at uh, how I can share my testimony and opportunity, you know, and uh, just the way that you led us through that story in that book. Uh, it was just, you know, I couldn't put it down except to give to that lady. Again. <laughs> you know how many times I've heard that story, by the way? People yeah. do give it away a lot because yeah. they know that it's a great source. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I just love the uh, the byline there, defending God in a world that makes no sense. Uh, now, you've also released Unbroken, Eight Enduring Promises God Will Keep. Tell us about this one. Yeah, that was a, a book that I was contracted to write for Standard Publishing. Uh, it's a book about uh, eight promises that kind of gave me uh, sustainability when, after I'd lost my mom. I was very close to my mom. She died at 61 
And her story is also in Dinner of Skeptics, but I referred to it somewhat in Unbroken. So these are eight promises that God gives very clearly in Scripture that helps me when I go through difficult times to remember that God is large and in charge, mm. and I can trust him. He is faithful, and based on what he did for me in the past on the cross, I can trust him for the things I don't understand in the future. So Unbroken is one of those that I—it's it's good read, but my favorite, the thing I'm most passionate about right now is the book that's actually being released in two weeks called Divine Romance. And this is not a book about marriage. This is a book where I ask the simple question, if it's true that God loves us, if that's true— And if it's true that if we don't enter into relationship with him, that we will be separated from God for eternity, and eternity is a long time, then the question is, how far should a God who loves us be willing to go to turn our attention toward him? And that will get you thinking in different categories about some of the pain and suffering that occurs in your life, because a good God who loves you will strip you of everything you depend on until you run to him if if it's a matter of eternity. Wow. Wow, that's a prodigal son unpacking right mm. there. That's awesome. Oh, so, so good. I can't wait to get my hands on that one. Yeah. Great tease. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> All right. Now, if people want to find out more about your ministry, is there a website they can go to uh, to, uh, to look at these books and, uh, and you're preaching? Yeah, you can find everything on ccvsocal.com. Uh, you can also download the app, Valley Life app, uh, on any application, okay. uh, on any phone. And then you just push the sermon button, and it's all free. You just listen to whatever you want, read whatever you want. I encourage people not to buy stuff. Just go on and, and read it and enjoy it. I'm not in this for money. <laughs> I'm in this because I really love God, and I love doing what we do. Yeah, well, it certainly comes through in our conversation. And uh, for those who aren't in the radio studio now, which is everyone except for us, uh, he's got the biggest smile. Man, this guy's like happy, <laughs> joyful. I want what he's got. Absolutely awesome. It's been a blessing to have you, Jeff Vines. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater. And why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's Word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor.